Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. Today, Jack Smith granted Mark Meadows immunity in exchange for testimony earlier this year. Jenna Ellis has pled guilty in Fulton County, bringing the number of defendants down to 15. The Department of Justice Inspector General found no evidence of wrongdoing in the FBI headquarters scandal during the Trump administration. 41 states have sued Meta, claiming that Instagram and Facebook harm children. Governor Bashir of Kentucky has dismantled his Republican opponent in the latest debate. We have an update on the pilot charged with 80 counts of attempted murder for lunging at the engine shutoff mid-flight and the ongoing search for a Speaker of the House. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everyone. Happy hump day. Happy Wednesday. Thank you for listening to The Daily Beans. Stunning news today, and I'm going to go over all of it. And later in the show, I'm going to chat with the host of Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM Progressive Channel 127, my friend John Fugelsang. Then, of course, we will hit the good news. And again, thank you to the patrons of this program. Our last happy hour with Pete's truck was amazing. There were hundreds of people there. I'm glad we got to answer all your questions. Next happy hour for patrons of this program is November 3rd on Friday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern. To become a supporting patron, head to patreon.com slash wrote. You will get these episodes early and ad free. All right. We have a ton of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. The top story today. Top story of the month is that Mark Meadows um, has been granted immunity. But I want to make a few points before I read the scoop from ABC News. First, please note this likely comes from Meadows team. I'm not sure if it comes from Terwilliger directly, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about what he has to say about the reporting in a bit. Uh, but they could be setting up a trial balloon to see what happens if he cooperates a little. That brings me to my second point. Nowhere does this story say that he got full immunity, nor does it say he's cooperating or has struck a plea deal or has pled guilty. Now, 
It also doesn't say that any of that has not happened. But just pay attention to the carefully crafted language of the story. Here it is from Catherine Falders, Mike Levine, and Alexander Mallon. Former President Donald Trump's final chief of staff at the White House, Mark Meadows, has spoken with special counsel Jack Smith's team at least three times this year, including once before a federal grand jury, which came only after Smith granted Meadows immunity to testify under oath. That's according to sources familiar with the matter. The sources said Meadows informed Smith's team that he repeatedly told Trump in the weeks after the 2020 election that the allegations of significant voting fraud coming to them were baseless. That's a striking break from Trump's prolific rhetoric regarding the election. According to the sources, Meadows has also told the federal investigators that Trump was being dishonest with the public when he first claimed to have won the election only hours after the polls closed on November 3rd, before the final results were in. You know, they didn't come in until four days later. Obviously, we didn't win, is what a source quoted Meadows telling Smith's team in hindsight. Now, Trump has called Meadows, one of the former president's closest and highest ranking aides, a special friend and a great chief of staff, as good as it gets. The descriptions of what Meadows allegedly told investigators shed further light on the evidence that Smith's team has amassed as it prosecutes Trump for allegedly trying to unlawfully retain power and spread lies about the 2020 election. The descriptions also expose how far Trump loyalists like Meadows have gone to support and defend Trump. And I want to take a quick break right here to say that the ABC reporting says that Smith's team prosecutes Trump for trying to unlawfully retain power and spread lies about the 2020 election. He has not been charged with the big lie. In fact, he has withdrawn his subpoena of the Trump pack, which was making money off the big lie. And we don't know if that means he's finished or stopped that leg of the investigation, or we don't know if that means he hasn't handed it off to someone else. But he said specifically in his indictment that the president was allowed to lie about the election. That's covered by free speech. He could tell everyone that the election was rigged. So that's a little not really sure I agree with that particular part of this report. It goes on to say sources told ABC News that Smith's investigators were keenly interested in questioning Meadows about election related conversations he had with Trump during his final months in office and whether Meadows actually believed some of the claims he included in the book he published, a book that he promised to correct the record on Trump with. Now, ABC News has identified several assertions in the book that appear to be contradicted by what Meadows allegedly told investigators behind closed doors. According to Meadows' book, the election was stolen and rigged, with helps from allies in the liberal media, who ignored actual evidence of fraud right there in plain sight for anyone to access and analyze. But as described to ABC News, Meadows privately told Smith's investigators that to this day, he has yet to see any evidence of fraud that would have kept now President Joe Biden from the White House. And he told them he agrees with a government assessment at the time from Chris Krebs, if you'll remember, that the 2020 election was the most secure election in U.S. history. Meadows said that by mid-December, he privately informed Trump Giuliani had not produced any evidence to back up the many allegations he was making. And that's the crux of this testimony. That right there, I'm again, a break from reading the story here to you. Mid-December, he privately informed Trump that there was no evidence to back up the many allegations. Yet Trump continued. And that is what riled up the mob on January 6th, which is part of the conspiracy to defraud the United States. Then Attorney General Bill Barr also informed Trump and Meadows in an Oval Office meeting that allegations of election fraud were not panning out. And we knew that. We knew about that reporting. While speaking with investigators, Meadows was specifically asked if Trump ever acknowledged to him that he'd lost the election. Meadows told investigators he never heard Trump say that, according to sources. Uh, There's public reporting that contradicts that. That's why I have some questions about this ABC report. Aided by a ghostwriter, Meadows published his book, The Chief's Chief, nearly a year after Trump left office. Quote, the sheer volume of falsehoods that have been published about the president's time in the White House is astounding, the book says. I consider this book a small opportunity to correct the record. Trump even promoted the book himself, issuing a statement in December 2021, saying the book rightfully spends much time talking about the large-scale election fraud that took place. But sources told ABC that when speaking with Smith's investigators... Meadow conceded that he doesn't actually believe some of the statements in his own book. 
According to the sources, Meadows told investigators that he doesn't agree with what's in his book when it says our many referrals to the Department of Justice were not seriously investigated. They were. And that's what he said under oath, but not what he said in his book. Under the penalty of perjury, Meadows offered a vastly different assessment to Smith's investigators than he wrote in his book, telling telling investigators he's never seen any evidence of fraud that would change the outcome of the election. Now, personally, it appears to me through this reporting that Meadows maybe was granted some limited use immunity to get the testimony that he told Trump in mid-December that Giuliani had not produced any evidence of voter fraud. And Meadows' lawyer, Terwilliger, tells CBS News, that's a different outlet, he said, I told ABC the story was largely inaccurate and people will have to judge for themselves the decision to run it anyway. And that dovetails with the idea that the immunity here is limited to the sliver of crimes that he did testify about. I think he's still on the hook for a majority of his own crimes that Jack Smith didn't need his testimony to corroborate. He's definitely still on the hook in Georgia. And I think if he were fully cooperating with the DOG or had flipped fully or, you know, signed a plea agreement or was given full immunity by the Department of Justice, he'd have pled out in Georgia for, for no jail time under the first offender law. If I had full immunity in, in, in D.C. with Jack Smith, I'd take a sweetheart deal down in Georgia in exchange for my testimony. The only reason I would not take a deal in Georgia is if my testimony could incriminate me in D.C., which would mean I'm still on the hook legally. Mark Meadows is one of the unindicted co-conspirators in the indictment by Jack Smith. And Andy and I are going to discuss this in depth on this weekend's Jack podcast. These are just my thoughts. I could be totally wrong, but that's what it feels like to me. And also, I don't want you to think that this is not a big fucking deal. It is. It really is. And it's going to go a long way to prosecuting Trump. So I don't know that he's fully cooperating, but you know who is. Thank you, Your Honor, for the opportunity to address the court. As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information, especially since my role involved speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. In the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. For those failures of mine, Your Honor, I have taken responsibility already before the Colorado Bar who censured me, and I now take responsibility before this court and apologize to the people. Okay, first of all, that was like the biggest pile of Kyle Rittenhouse bullshit crying I've seen in a really long time. First of all, she didn't take any responsibility. She she blamed it on other better lawyers who she took their word. Look, if you're a lawyer and you do not do your due diligence to check the facts in your pleadings and you instead rely on what you know to be false bullshit from not reputable lawyers, no matter how much longer they've been practicing law than you, that's on you. That is on you. And you should be disbarred for that, in my personal opinion. So fuck off with that shit. But I would just like to say that this past May, Jenna Ellis told me on Twitter to cry more. And today, she cried on national television. So I win. Uh, but the plea deal here is different than the Chesbro plea deal, the Powell plea deal, the Scott Hall plea deal, because what's different about her plea deal is she has agreed to continue to be interviewed by the DA. She didn't just have to make one statement of proffer and write an apology letter and she's off. 
She's on the hook for future interviews with prosecutors, not just testimony. But she does have to be available for testimony in all proceedings related to this case. She pled to one felony count of aiding and abetting false statements. She got to pay $5,000 in restitution and five years probation. She's going to implicate a lot of bigger fish, including and especially Rudy Giuliani. Now, Pete and I are going to cover this more in depth on next week's Clean Up on Aisle 45 podcast. And by the way, for that show, we have gotten the amazing Norm Eisen as a guest. So if you're not listening to that show, this would be a good time to start. And this morning, Emmer won the title of Speaker-Designee. And then he held that position for about 1% of a Scaramucci. And bang, it was yanked out right from under him. There was no Speaker vote on the floor last night because, well... Emmer is no longer the designee. And also Hearn dropped out and endorsed Mike Johnson. And then I think McCarthy, if if my breaking news is correct, has recommended he be speaker again and Jim Jordan be assistant speaker of the House. There's no such thing as assistant speaker of the House. But none of this matters, because check out this reporting from Politico, right? Just hours after Rep. Tom Emmer won the Republican conference's nomination for speaker on Tuesday, former President Trump took to Truth Social to deride the congressman as a total out-of-touch rhino, globalist rhino, out of touch with Republican voters. He then got on the phone with members to express his aversion for Emmer and his bid for speaker. And by Tuesday afternoon, Trump called one person close to him with the message, he's done, it's over, I killed him. And just minutes later, Emmer officially dropped out of the race. This is further proof that the chaos is the point. The autocrats, the fascists, they don't want a Speaker of the House. They want to dismantle democracy. And it appears the goal here is to pick off the moderate Republicans one by one until the House is forced to elect a terrorist as Speaker or forced to work with Democrats. Now, Trump wants the government to shut down. He doesn't want to fund the courts. Now, of course, He can't defund Jack Smith. We know that. Jack Smith is funded by a special fund in the U.S. Treasury controlled by the attorney general has nothing to do with Congress. But if the government isn't funded, the courts can go along for a little while, but then the court staff can no longer be paid. And that can really gum up the works in our federal cases in D.C. and Florida. He wants the government to shut down. He wants the legislative branch to malfunction. Because then he alone can fix it. Because then democracy looks bad. And I'll talk about this in a bit with John Fugelsang. And this is good. Democratic Governor Andy Bashir defended his sweeping COVID-19 pandemic restrictions as he faced an onslaught of criticism from Republican challenger Daniel Cameron in a high stakes debate last Monday, coming about two weeks before Kentucky's closely watched gubernatorial election. Now, Cameron acknowledged, meanwhile, that if elected, he would sign legislation that included school vouchers after being pressed for his stand on the divisive education issue. And these bitter rivals sparred over the economy, education policies, abortion, transgender issues. It was an hour long debate. It was shown statewide on Kentucky educational television. They were pressed to drill down on many of their policy positions during the latest in a series of face offs before the November 7th election. But this moment, this is perhaps the very moment that Bashir secured his reelection bid. Let's listen. But in July on the campaign trail, he said this race is about vouchers. And you can just ask him directly. Well, let's just Do ask him directly. Vouchers. Do you support vouchers, General Cameron? Look, look I'm, I support what I've always said is I support catching up our kids. I'm trying to, my plan about is priority. One of those option school vouchers my or scholarship tax credits. My plan is about making sure that we catch the kids up from the shutdown. We've seen Andy Bashir's education plan, and it's a plan that shut down our schools for nearly two years. But I you support, would be for school vouchers. No, I would support primarily our public school system. Look, we need to make sure that we expand opportunity that's, and choice. That's three but times at the, you asked the question. We need to make sure at the same time, look, more than 90% of our kids are in public schools. Look, parents at home, they want to make sure that their kids are caught up this governor shut your schools down for nearly two years. We decided we a extreme learning answer this. the question. Governor Bashir. We'll look in a camera and answer the question. I oppose vouchers 100 percent. They steal money from our public schools and send them to our private schools. The reason he won't answer is he supports vouchers. He has time and time again. But what's concerning is he won't be honest with you. 
and answer a direct question and look in the camera. You deserve a governor that'll do that, whether the answer is popular. Really, Why will you not answer the question? Excellent, excellent debate work. And let's talk about school vouchers for a minute. I mean, in Arizona, the Republicans want to gut education spending by $900 million and give it to the rich. Cameron here in Kentucky wants to do the same thing. It's happening in Missouri, Florida, Texas, Tennessee. So many states are trying to drain public school coffers in favor of school vouchers. And they're referring to it as school choice. Gosh, it's like the Republicans learned this year that the word choice is good. But let's call this what it really is. It's privatization. And it's something Republicans have been getting away with for decades. They privatized prisons, border facilities, defense contracts, space travel, national security satellite launches, satellite communications like the kind they're using in Ukraine. They want to privatize the Department of Veterans Affairs, health care, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the post office. You name it. If it's a public program, the Republicans want to privatize it. And they dress it up by saying they're giving consumers more choice when what they're really doing is pocketing your tax dollars to give to their rich friends and donors. Hell, they even privatized the Supreme fucking court. And I can't believe how many people fall for this and continue to vote against their own best interests. It truly boggles my mind. All right. Remember when Trump put the kibosh on moving the FBI headquarters to a new facility from the dangerous, crumbling, asbestos-ridden headquarters that just happened to be across the street from the Trump Hotel in downtown D.C., and he didn't want another hotelier moving in across the street to compete with Trump Tower or the Trump International or whatever it's called, the building I flip off every time I get the old post office? He privatized the post office. Just kidding. Well... Department of Justice Inspector General Mike Horowitz investigated that and finished his investigation, put out his report and says, we have found no evidence that the FBI's decision to seek to have its headquarters remain in its current location was based on improper considerations or motives. We found that Ray testified credibly to the OIG about how he reached the decision independently and not as a result of any external pressure or influence. We did not find sufficient evidence to conclude that Haley knowingly provided untruthful or misleading testimony and that the EPW hearing about the White House's involvement in the FBI's decision. Ray told Haley that Ray made the decision without influence or pressure. And we also did not identify any legal guidance that Haley received from the FBI regarding the White House directive not to discuss the January 24th meeting at the EPW hearing. And lastly, we found that at the time of the revised plan submissions to the EPW, Haley and the PMO were not sufficiently consulting the FBI security division about facility security issues. And as a result, Ray, Haley, EPW members and EPW staff may have received inaccurate facility security information. Further, the revised plan contained ambiguous facility security information and did not include certain other facility security information known by the FBI which created an inadequate and unclear summary of the security posture of the proposed new facility. I don't know, y'all. I don't buy it. I still want GSA Emily to answer for her crimes. But this is what the inspector general found. But you know how I feel about Mike Horowitz, inspector general of the DOJ. Anyway, from the Washington Post, 41 states and D.C. are suing META alleging that the tech giant harms children by building addictive features into Instagram and Facebook. Legal actions that represent the most significant effort by state enforcers to tackle the impact of social media on children's mental health. The barrage of lawsuits is the culmination of a sprawling 2021 investigation into claims that Meta contributes to mental health issues among young people. While the scope of the legal claims vary, they paint a picture of a company that has hooked children on its platforms using harmful and manipulative tactics. A 233-page federal complaint alleges the company engaged in a scheme to exploit young users for profit by misleading them about safety features and the prevalence of harmful content, harvesting their data and violating federal laws on children's privacy. State officials claim that the company knowingly deployed changes to keep children on the site to their detriment, violating consumer protection laws. 33 states, including Colorado and California, are filing a joint lawsuit in federal court 
in the Northern District of California, while attorneys general for D.C. and eight states are filing separate complaints in federal, state and local courts. Quote, our bipartisan investigation has arrived at a solemn conclusion. Meta has been harming our children and teens, cultivating addiction to boost corporate profits. That's California Attorney General Rob Bonta, one of the officials leading the effort. Civil penalties, changes in business practices and restitution are all on the table as potential consequences. The Biden administration is separately scrutinizing Meta's record on children's safety, with the FTC proposing a plan to bar the company from monetizing the data it collects from young users. Meta's Stone called it a political stunt, and the company would vigorously fight the move. The state attorneys general described their investigation into other tech companies as ongoing. And I've saved the best for last. From ABC News, a stunning new details emerged Tuesday in the terrifying incident aboard an Alaska Airlines plane where an off-duty pilot is accused of trying to shut down the engines mid-flight. Joseph David Emerson, who was en route to fly another plane on Sunday, had not slept for 40 hours and had discussed using psychedelic mushrooms, according to a criminal complaint. At the time of the incident, off-duty Captain Emerson was sitting in the flight deck jump seat. He was in the cockpit, and that's according to Alaska Airlines. And Emerson engaged with the pilots in casual conversation before allegedly trying to grab and pull two red fire handles that would have activated the plane's emergency fire suppression system and cut off fuel to the engines. He allegedly said, I'm not okay, and reached up to grab the red fire handles. But Emerson was unable to pull the red T handles down all the way and fully activate the engine shutoff because the pilots wrestled with him. From the time Emerson said, I'm not okay, to when he exited the cockpit, it was about 90 seconds. The fire suppression system on the plane consists of a T-valve handle for each engine, and if those handles are fully deployed, a valve in the wing closes to shut off fuel to the engine. The quick reaction of our crew to reset the T-handles ensured engine power was not lost. Flight attendants put Emerson in wrist restraints and sat him in the back of the plane. Emerson allegedly told one flight attendant that he just got kicked off the flight deck and you need to cuff me right now or it's going to be bad. Uh, as the plane descended, Emerson allegedly tried to grab the handle of the emergency exit, but was stopped by the flight attendant. Emerson was taken into custody in Portland and faces charges, including 83 counts of attempted murder. He appeared in court wearing a blue jail uniform on Tuesday, but did not address the judge. His attorney, Noah Horst, entered a plea of not guilty. The FBI is investigating when exactly he took the mushrooms, according to sources familiar. They're trying to figure out whether this was a psychedelic trip, a mental health crisis, or something else, according to sources. All right, that is the news as I see it. We'll be right back with the host of Tell Me Everything from SiriusXM Progressive, my friend John Fugelsang. And we'll follow that up with the good news. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am happy and honored to be joined today by my friend, host of Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM Progress, Channel 127, every weeknight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, which is now a podcast you can listen to for free the next day if you don't subscribe to Sirius. So that is a very cool thing. Please welcome my friend, John Fugelsang. Hi, Allison. Thanks for uh, having me back on your show. I'm so excited to talk to you today. First of all, loved looking at and watching and seeing the posts about the live sexy liberal tour shows that you're doing with Steph Miller. Thank you. Yeah, we didn't have any for the whole year. And we just did our only 2023 show in Los Angeles at the Saban Theater. Uh, obviously, it's a it's a hell of a great month for topical comedy, isn't it? So um, I kind of feel like between the war over there and the slap fight in our capital, it's uh, it's it's time to impose some laughter in the world. But we had a great crowd. Uh, and we were joined on stage. You know, at the end of every show, we're we're joined by uh, by by people. Lily Tomlin has done the show a bunch of times. Rob Reiner, Nancy Pelosi. We were joined this time by Malcolm Nance, Glenn Kirshner, and Ron Perlman. So we covered everything from Tr Donald Trump's legal problems to the Middle East to the actor strike, and uh, it was a pretty fun show. I I, I got to debut a new piece I wrote, um, a Dr. Seuss book where I explained all the Trump trials, because he has seven criminal trials between now and the convention. And the most often, most frequent question I get on Sirius XM is people who have a hard time keeping them straight. So I finally wrote this epic Dr. Seuss uh, uh, rhyming monstrosity, uh, which I think we're calling the story of comb over Caligula, <laughs> that uh, covers everything in every detail. And um, uh, I, I figured, hey, it's a brand new bit. Why not try this out in front of thousands of people in a pay-per-view audience? So it went pretty good. 
<laughs> awesome. Yeah, everybody, you, need, you can check that out still, right? People can still get access to that and watch it. Yeah, yeah people can go to uh, sexyliberal.com and you can get all the information there. And it, it really is fun. Hal Sparks and uh, Stephanie Miller and Frangela was a really, really solid show comedically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wish I could have been there, uh, but uh, I will be coming out to some of these shows. I know that you're going to continue to do more. So and do another one election for Election Day next year. So I hope you're free. I'll be there. Let's talk about the humor a little bit, because you are a wizened humorist. So I know you understand this. I also spent some time on the road as a comic. And the speaker fight going on in the house right now is funny. Uh, but it, it but it's also dangerous because we've seen twice today now where I think Emmer was elected the speaker designee, but he was still 20 plus votes short. And before he ran for speaker designee. He called Trump and kissed the ring. Uh, but then as soon as he was nominated, Trump threw him under the bus on Truth Social. And then Matt Gates was also trying to whip up votes for Emmer. But as soon as he became the designee, then Gates again threw him under the bus. And I can't help but think that people like Gates and Trump, because they're autocrats and they alone can fix it, are purposefully causing this chaos because their goal is to dismantle democracy and make democracy a laughingstock globally so that their autocracy and their autocratic ideals can fix the chaos. I alone can fix the chaos. So I laugh. A lot going on in the world right now. A lot of chaos ladders at the moment. Right. So, so we laugh, but it's also, I think, quite dangerous and embarrassing, uh, particularly, like you said, given the global climate. What are your thoughts on, on that? You know, it was so simple a few weeks ago when it was just Steve Scalise versus Jim Jordan, wasn't it? So simple back when we were young. It was just David Duke without the baggage versus the wrestler, molester, protector. And now this is dragged on for three weeks at this point. You know, the, everyone knows that the government is going to shut down again in just, uh, what is it now, 28 days, I believe. And they're just showing that they can't govern. Tom Emmer seems like the smart choice in many ways, though. Um, Scalise felt like the smart choice. I would have loved it if Scalise, whoever it's going to be, they're going to be a massive fundraiser for Democrats. I don't know how it could be Emmer, because the story that I'm not hearing the media talk about much is how this has been week after week, almost a nonstop congressional Republican repudiation of Donald Trump and what he wants. I mean, Jim Jordan was his guy. He was voted down five separate times, three public votes, two private votes. Um, you know, now Trump is pretending to stay out of this. What did he say yesterday that he he, he thinks that, that uh, even the only person who could get approved is Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. He literally went out and said that uh, Jesus Christ would never get the vote of this Republican caucus to be Speaker of the House. He's anti-death penalty. He was never anti-abortion. Uh, he's anti-discrimination against trans people and migrants. He, he said, pay your taxes. He was not into self-defense and he commanded his followers to welcome the stranger. So actually, Matt Gates has a better chance than Jesus of becoming speaker. Uh, Byron Donald has a better chance. But Emmer voted to certify uh, the votes for Joe Biden's presidency. It seems like he's a rarity in that sense. But the nine candidates they were voting on this week, only two of them did not vote to throw out the will of the American voters. And Emmer was one of them. So again, just the fact that Emmer came in first with the most votes is another repudiation of this Congress. And it seems to be these Republicans saying they're pretty confident Donald Trump is never going to be their president again. I, I really don't see much media focus on that. And that's what surprised me the most about this, Michigas. No, I, I agree. I, I tend and you know, nobody's gotten as many votes as, as uh, Hakeem Jeffries in, in any Correct. in any of in any of these uh, ballots. Uh, but, you know, I think the chaos is is definitely the point, again, why Trump would come on TV and say the only person who could be speaker is Jesus Christ. Um, and, and that is just illustrative, I think, of his desire to not want a speaker of the House. Of course, Matt Gates doesn't want one either, because that means that the ethics um, <laughs> House committee investigation into him will will go forth. Correct. Uh, and right now that's everything's on pause. The Jesus Christ stuff, though, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, because one of the, the reasons I love following you on Twitter and on social media uh, is because the way your knowledge uh, of religion and the way that you pick apart the the utilization, the the wrong utilization of Jesus or Christianity by MAGA and the MAGA wing of the Republican Party. Can you I, I'm curious, how are you so versed on this stuff? Tell tell us about this sure. 
continual like I just embarrassment of the MAGA right with your your knowledge of Christianity? Well, I don't I don't claim to be a, a great Christian at all. I just have known uh, great Christians in my life, and I I know the the Bible pretty well. I know the New Testament very well. Um, I had an abnormally Christian background. My mother was a nun for 16 years. Uh, my mother grew up in the South and she entered the convent right out of high school. They put her through nursing school and sent her off to work with lepers in the jungles of Malawi, Africa as a nurse. My father grew up in Brooklyn and he was a Franciscan brother. He taught history to Catholic boys and he wore the brown robes and the rope belt. Sorry about that. So my parents were both uh, in the clergy for over 15 years apiece. And they left and uh, had us and tried to raise us to be progressive, free-thinking Catholics, which is why I do stand-up, because I can't afford the therapy I so deeply require. So, like, I I grew up um, in my house. My parents didn't want us to tell anyone about their past. So we never did. We were the most Catholic family uh, in our neighborhood, and we were the most politically liberal family in our neighborhood, very conservative socially. My dad didn't want us to be Republicans, but he he dressed us like them. And so um, when I was first moving to L.A., I was doing Bill Maher's show a lot, and I was debating Jerry Falwell and David Duke, and my mother finally gave me permission after one TV appearance to start talking about their past. I was never allowed to tell my friends growing up. They just knew my parents were older than everyone else's parents for some reason. And once my mom said, you can talk about us, it really opened up a creative wellspring in me. And I realized that, you know, um, I, I grew up with this model of religion where on the TV, you would see this binary choice of atheists or idiots. And that's it. You either have non-believers who are groovy or you have douchebags screaming at women outside clinics. And I never saw the kind of religious people I knew growing up. I knew nuns who did homeless outreach. I knew priests who worked with runaways. I knew all kinds of, I mean, my parents who who had left the religious life, but still were involved in their church, did Meals on Wheels. My dad was the guy after mass every Sunday who'd be arguing with the priest. Why do you got to talk about hell so much? When are you going to talk about love? When are you going to talk about helping the less fortunate? Why is it all fire and brimstone with you people? And um, so I, I sort of have made a side career of thumping Bible thumpers with the Bible. And my big mission is the separation of church and hate, because you don't need to believe in Jesus as a absolute literal fact. You know, maybe you think he's the divine son of God. Maybe you think he's a myth cobbled together from other myths. Maybe you think he was just a first century activist. Maybe you think he's the original innocent brown skinned man executed by the state. But you don't need to believe in the Bible as literal fact to appreciate how Jesus would call out hypocrites. And um, that's my favorite thing he does. And so I, I kind of feel like anyone can use the Bible against these fundamentalists because the media is not going to do it. The media allows Mike Pence to come out there and talk about his Religious Freedom Act in Indiana. And if you're Christian, then of course you're anti-gay. If you're Christian, of course you're anti-abortion. When you actually read the Bible, you find out this character of Jesus these guys claim to follow is a radically nonviolent revolutionary, hung out with lepers, hookers, and crooks, never spoke English, wasn't American, anti-wealth, completely anti-death penalty, anti-public prayer, never anti-gay, never mentioned abortion, never called to punish women for abortions, never said punish poor pregnant women with greater poverty, never said the state should force teenage rape victims to carry and bear their attackers' children. And he was a long-haired, brown-skinned, homeless, unarmed, uh, community organizing, anti-slut shaming, Palestinian liberal Jew who commands his followers, individuals and nations to welcome the stranger, care for the poor, be kind to those in prison and care for the sick. Now, does that sound like a lot of right wing Christians? You know, I think these people, wor they, they worship Jesus because it's a lot easier than following his inconveniently liberal teachings. But a lot of these right wingers who claim that he's their messiah, he's He's actually their their mascot. He's this prop they wave around to assume virtue. And I just got tired of seeing, you know, I debated Jerry Falwell in my 20s on Bill Maher. And I, I just I'm so sick of seeing the media let these frauds and these flock fleecers um, pervert my parents' religion. So um, I, I call them out and I try to do it with humor and dick jokes. And uh, the most incredible thing has been every time I perform or go on the radio or TV, I get so many people who write to me and say, yeah, they were raised to be groovy Christians, um, focusing on love and service, not on uh, tribalism and condemnation. That's a very long winded preachy answer to a very short question. <laughs> no, I, I love it. And, you know, I, I think about 
you know, when you're talking about them waving around Jesus, using him as a, a you know, as a symbol. I mean, they seem to have broken one of their, um, you know, very important commandments by replacing him with Donald Trump. I mean, they even literally have golden statues of the man and it, and that they can't see it even when you hold that mirror up to their face. Nope, is they can't. But mind blowing. But there's there's things you can do like. You're right. The only way you can follow Jesus and Trump is if you haven't read either of their books. And um, (laughs) the only things Jesus and Trump have in common, they both hung out with prostitutes and they both hired ghostwriters. And that's it. So what I find is very useful and your listeners can do this and it really works. Ask ask the conservative Christian in your life, if you're ever in a debate, ask them, can you cite one teaching of Jesus, just one actual teaching from the Gospels? that the Republican Party has fought for in this century, legislatively. One teaching of Jesus uh, that Donald Trump has ever fought for. One teaching of Jesus that guided your vote for these people. And you'll find out pretty quick how little these Christians know the Bible. Because the number one thing they'll say is, abortion. Mm. And that's when you say the Bible's not against abortion. Uh, Jesus's religion of Judaism is not against abortion. Abortions are legal and free in Israel right now. God makes it very clear in Exodus that a fetus is property and a woman's life has more value in his eyes. Um, And, you know, Numbers chapter five, there's pretty specific instructions on how to terminate a pregnancy for an unfaithful uh, married wife. So, you know, Jesus was against the death penalty, but they don't care about that. And to me, if you're going to oppose abortion, which Jesus never talked about, but support the death penalty, which Jesus actually did condemn, then the rest of us aren't required to take your claims of Christianity seriously. It's it's that simple. Or they'll say, uh, strong border. And it's like, no, the only commandment in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, about borders or immigration is to welcome the stranger. And then they'll say, well, he, he moved the embassy to Israel, to, 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 to Jerusalem. And that's when I've got to say, uh, no, there's nothing in the Bible about where America's embassy should be. That's Donald Trump repaying a bribe from Sheldon Adelson. And that's all that was. So, again, the media allows these people to wear this camouflage and pretend their meanness is somehow holy. And I'm in the camouflage removal business. I like it. I like it. And and they will always wrongly say abortion, which is interesting to me because, you know, all of these quote unquote, polls and pollsters who've gotten it wrong consistently in 2016, 2018, 2020, 2022. We were expecting the big red wave in 2022 that never materialized. And then, you know, now there's all these, I think, bad actors who are trying to turn people off of the Biden-Harris ticket in 2024 by saying, you know, talking about his age or whatever. But what I don't think they realize is that between the last presidential election where Joe Biden walloped Trump and this next presidential election, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Exactly. And a majority of the interim special elections have gone by, I think, an average of 11 point swings to Dems. Oh, Kansas. Beautiful Kansas. And those are the polls that I like to watch. Me too. Um, and so uh, how do you think now that the dog has caught the car and the Republicans are going to have to own that they overturned Roe? I don't see it going better for them in 2024. I only see it going worse. You know things are bad when the only Republican who's making sense about abortion and politics is Donald Trump. And he's trying to warn them all. And they don't want to hear it. I mean, but he's telling them this is going to kill you with the, uh, you know, this six-week abortion ban. It's, I mean, look, if there's high turnout next year, Democrats will do great. If there's low turnout, Republicans will do great because the status quo got to be the status quo because it always protects itself and their minions. Apathy, yeah. yeah, they'll turn out to vote against their own interests. And apathy is fascism's lube. Apathy is what always helps the evil people win. Um, so, you know, for me, I, I think that, you know, it's amazing that abortion, they got Christians to vote against everything Jesus talked about by talking about abortion, which Jesus never, Jesus talked, never about. talked about. And it's the racket. And it's, it's, And Jerry Falwell never even mentioned abortion in a speech until three or four years after Roe v. Wade. You know, for years in this country, uh, white supremacy and conservative Christianity went hand in hand. A lot of people don't remember that. But Jerry Falwell built whites only schools. Ronald Reagan supported apartheid. Ronald Reagan, you know, I could go all day on his racist history. And um, after civil rights and Nixon crashing the boat, they were kind of adrift. 
when Roe v. Wade was passed, it, it wasn't really controversial. It wasn't until a few years later that Jerry Falwell built on this whole abortion thing. And that wound up redefining what being a Christian in America is. And again, the media plays along with this. You know, it's always the de facto expectation that Christians oppose abortion but support the death penalty. And it's literally the opposite of Jesus. So it's like, you know, I'm just a comedian, but I'm here to bring some receipts and make some jokes and call out hypocrites because that's one of my favorite things Jesus does in the book. Jesus throws the Old Testament in the face of the Pharisees so many times to show how they're full of crap. And, uh, you know, I wish the Democratic Party, again, I'm not saying go around talking to tabernacles and trying to convert people at all. I'm saying call out frauds because there's a lot of people out there that maybe don't belong to a religion, but they like they believe in something. You know, they say the largest growing religious demographic in America are Mormons. I disagree. I think the largest growing religious group in America are people who were raised religious, but now consider themselves spiritual because they're turned off to all these hypocrisies by men in dresses and funny hats. Yeah. And you know what I I keep thinking about? is, you know, as far as why they stick up for the unborn. And this this will be the last discussion that we have. It, it dawned on me when I saw John McCain show up to uh, who, Pat Tillman's funeral. Yeah. Uh, he was the Arizona Cardinal who um, who perished in the Iraq war. A friendly fire. And McCain showed up to his funeral and started talking about God and Jesus and all these other things. And the family was very upset by this. They pulled him aside and said, Tillman was an atheist. We aren't you know, yeah. um, of that religion, we would appreciate it if you would stop using him as a religious thing. But he is he is a dead man and he cannot argue for himself. And it dawned on me that that is why the Republicans use the unborn, because if the unborn could speak, they would say, leave us the fuck out of this, man. They are they can't speak up for themselves. Right. Uh, because yeah. <laughs> because they're fetuses. Yeah. And it's not the women carrying them that matter. Exactly. To, to the Christians. And so it, it just it it hit me like a ton of bricks. That's why that's why they've chosen the unborn. They so, they can't pick they can't pick live people with thoughts and voices to defend that's their actual religion, Alice, and their actual religion has nothing to do with the Nazarene. I mean, they reject everything Jesus taught. If you, you know, conservative Christians go into a, a voting booth on Election Day and say no to Jesus. You know, let's make millionaires more comfortable. Let's cut services for the poor. Let's make it harder for migrants and asylum seekers to, to be welcomed here. Let's go ahead and turn away war. Donald Trump promised to bring back torture and turn away war refugees. And these revoltingly false Christians went for it because he told them what they want to hear. And they haven't read their own holy book. Well, I have this magic. They have this magic sort of elixir, which is, well, he's imperfect. And the chosen one is going yes. to be it's imperfect. An imperfect vessel. King Cyrus, King Cyrus, all this bullshit that they hear repeated on Fox News. And again, I'm saying, no, I, I, it doesn't matter. We're all imperfect vessels. Let's take, you, you know, my atheist brothers and sisters will call these people superstitious idiots. And that's great. I take a different approach. I'm going to beat them with their own holy book. And I'm going to say, no, boo-boo, you tell me how you were following Jesus when you voted for comb over Caligula. What teaching of Christ guided your vote? And that's when you find out they don't know what they're talking about because mm -hmm. their real religion is criminalizing abortion and pretending they're better than you. And this ties into the Middle East, because anytime you put extreme religious conservatives, fundamentalists in power in any society, any religion, you put fundamentalist religious conservatives in power and it will lead to the opposite of what your holy books teach. So you look at Hamas, extreme right wing. You look at uh, uh, Israel, very liberal in many ways, but Netanyahu is definitely very, very conservative. You look at, you know, and, and I people saying, well, uh, you, you know, George W. Uh, people say, well, well, uh, uh, Christianity doesn't do this. Christianity doesn't cut off people's heads. No, Christianity does it the old fashioned, respectable way with bombs and missiles. George W. Bush said God told him to invade and occupy Iraq. On the eve of that bombing, he said God will not be neutral. Christianity still has a much higher body count than Islam. But the more extreme right your religion is, I find, Allison, the more you believe the same five things. Doesn't matter the religion. Ex extreme conservative Jew, extreme conservative Christian, extreme conservative Muslim. You believe women are second-class citizens. Think about it. The more conservative any religion is, the more women are property. Um, gay is bad. Uh, sex is bad unless it's for procreation. Violence is okay if my side does it. 
And God likes my unauthorized fan club better than you. No matter what the religion is, extreme conservative Christians have more in common with extreme conservative Muslims than they do with moderate Christians. Because the overwhelming majority of moderate and liberal Christians, Muslims, and Jews are getting along just fine right now around the world, and they're getting no headlines for it. Well, if it bleeds, it leads, right? So yeah, Exactly. exactly. I and mean, we could have a whole discussion on the media, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, but the media feeds it all, you know. I mean, I I hate Hamas. Hamas are Hamas are Nazi terrorist bastards, but that doesn't change the fact that Netanyahu is a criminal gangster thug as well, and you know, Trumpism masquerading as Christianity. All of this needs to be called out because it's a fraud at best and fundamentalism at worst. And show me any time in history when extreme conservative religious people have been the good guys anywhere in any culture. Right. Like the book burners, the book banners, the yeah. I, uh, witch burners anywhere. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Why? Why are we burning the witch instead of so asking? When people, yeah. When people say, oh, religion's responsible for all the war and oppression and misogyny and homophobia. I'm like, no, fundamentalist religion is you, there's there's millions of laid back, groovy, chill Christians and Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Scientologists who are doing just fine. And if you live in cities, you see them getting along and working together every day. And it, that's crap for ratings. It is bad for ratings, just like the surf sucks in Arizona, my friend. That's just that's just the way that it is. But thank you so much for taking time and talking to me today. If everybody, you need to check out Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM Progress, Channel 127, weeknights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And if you don't subscribe to Sirius XM, it is now a free podcast. You can get the next day wherever you get your podcasts. My friend, it's been wonderful talking to you. I can't wait to see you on the road again. Tell Steph Miller I said hello. Everybody, John Fugelsang. Thank you so much. Let me just give one parting comment, if I can. Uh, uh, remember, uh, Newt Gingrich and Denny Hastert, John Boehner, Paul Ryan, and Kevin McCarthy. Republican Speaker of the House is the spinal tap drummer of government jobs. It did <laughs> well. Thank you, Al. <laughs> Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, everyone. Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play what the mutt, what the heck wine, opine on the bovine, uh, find the cat. Uh, let's see, what other games do we have? Uh, send in your whoopee stories, your stuffed animal stories. I love those. Um, anything you're making or creating, a small business, a small business in your area. Uh, if you have a shout out to a loved one or yourself, if you want to tell me some great things that you're doing, I love to hear that. Because I think we need to talk up the things, the good things that we do. Tell me something good that happened to you this week. Just think of anything and, and type it up and send it in. Uh, I love those stories. If you want to send us your thesis title or your a dissertation title or a title of a paper you worked on, uh, send that to us too. Those are great. I love trying to figure those out. Everybody who listens to this show is so, so smart. Uh, anything you want to send us at all, just go to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Mary... Uh, no pronouns. Beans, queens, rock. Good news. I hosted a pumpkin gut for my neighbors. Bring your own pumpkin and leave the mess. We had a great time, met some new friends, and a very talented father and adult son, both immigrants, carved for the very first time. I've attached my pod pet tax. We could play what the mutt, but I don't really know what he is either. We adopted him in 2018 on May 4th, so he's called Jedi. May the 4th be with you. Great. Bonus pick of him in the snow. The buns are lop mixes. Miss Bunny Penny, oh, Miss Bunny Penny, and Harlequin. Oh, so amazing. But you know what, Mary? For some reason, your photos didn't make it into the submission. So I'm going to see if I can dig those up, or maybe they didn't attach properly. But I would love to see Miss Bunny Penny and, uh, and of course, <laughs> Jedi, born on May the 4th. Um, next up, Tom, not that Tom, a different Tom pronouns he and him fabulous queens of the leguminate long time listener first time submission or a shout out to a bunch of folks first it's melissa who was asked to start a scouts bsa boy scouts troop for girls at a local catholic church slash school she spent the last five to six months recruiting the scouts and dragging a retired a retiree i guess from scout mastering scout master back into full-time duty 
The second shout out is to me for being dragged back into the full time scoutmaster duty for a brand new troop. Your final shout out is to the five girls who have joined. These fabulous females have just completed their first camp out. And if the smiles on their faces is any indication, I would say they're having a good time. They've already learned how to make fires, cook over coals, set up tents, keep their heads when on a dark trail at night when the Scoutmaster has them, looking over strange terrain, L-O-S-T, <laughs> lost. No, we weren't lost. I literally recognized a single tree in the forest to know where we were. Big brand new troop. We have very limited supplies and funds. But this weekend, we were able to handle everything with borrowed tents and cooking equipment. But for long-term use, we need actual gear. I also want to shout out all the bluebirds, campfires, Girl Scouts, Indian guides, anyone I missed. These youth organizations have provided a great experience for youth all over the country, and we're all better for it. Also, congratulations to Allison on earning her gold award. That award is not recognized as much as it should be, and I want to be sure that the recognition gets spread further. Thank you. Yes, it's our Eagle Scout, and it's very difficult. And we're better than the boys. As pod pet tax, here's a picture of my beloved moose. The only good thing about COVID-19 was spending every day of this last year at home with him. Finally, while not every thesis is a master's or PhD paper, at KU, for history undergraduate degree, you had to produce a primary source paper or thesis for your degree. No difficult words or fancy phrases, just an answer to, why did the United States fail to produce a heavy tank in World War II? By the way, the answer is because we didn't think that way back then. <laughs> It's a pretty short paper. Thanks for all you do for building this awesome community. Thank you so much, Tom. Not that Tom, a different Tom. New Scoutmaster. Look at this baby. Is that like a little beagle mix? So cute. Thank you for sending. Next up, Brian, he and him. AG and DG, I have both a confession and some good news. First, my confession is that my partner, Danielle, of nearly 15 years, is a superhero. She is the director of psychology at a pediatric gender clinic. She also recently began working with the ACLU to stop hateful laws targeting trans kids nationwide. The fight for human rights can seem hopeless, but there's amazing people standing in between these kids and the forces that target them. And finally, my good news is that after 15 years, my partner and I are getting married over brunch this Sunday. Since I convinced her to start listening to The Beans after picking up Muller, she wrote in the kitchen table days, she's written into the good news before, so this is mine. I'm marrying my superhero. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Spider-Man. Turns out, I'm Mary Jane, and that's pretty fucking cool. Cat taxes Khaleesi, our cat overlord. Hi, Khaleesi. <laughs> Looking at me through the holes in the laundry basket. Very, very cute. Congratulations. Congratulations, Danielle and Brian. I love this for you. Brunch wedding. Perfect. You are a superhero. Next up, Pam, pronoun she and her. Hello, fellow beans peoples. Was just listening to the pod and heard a fellow Portlander say hello from another Portlander. Uh, so hello, excuse me, from another Portlander. Is it Portlander or Portlander? I did find and follow the Instagram. Love finding new Beans followers. And I've shared a couple of times in the past that my wife and I foster dogs for an organization here in the Pacific Northwest called Underdogs Rock Rescue. Yes, I remember this. We now have another foster dog, Hefner. <laughs> we don't know much about his background. He came to us from L.A., uh, and he's about five years, 20-ish pounds, seems to be house trained. He's the sweetest love bug. No idea what breed he is. I have a couple guesses, but no real info. So whatever your guess is, is probably right. Wink, wink. If anyone in the Portland, Oregon or Vancouver, Washington area is interested, visit this website, underdogsrock.org and complete the application. Thanks for all you do. And this is Hefner and he's fucking adorable. Oh my goodness, look at the little beard. And his tail's wagging. Like the picture, he's still, but the tail is like a blur. So that is a happy little love bug. All right, Portland area, Vancouver, Washington area, underdogsrock.org. Look for Hefner. So cute. Next up, Melissa W. She, her. About two years ago, I was undergoing treatments for breast cancer, which I've been free from since April 2022. This past June, I underwent my final surgery for my breast cancer, in which I had a prosthesis inserted into my left breast and a lift done on my right. So it could look a little more normal. I spent a few weeks at my parents' place recovering. And when I got back to my place, I started to feel a bit overwhelmed with the state of my place. My parents had started noticing that I wasn't doing well and that I was struggling and living on my own, especially when it came to cleaning and cooking and living, you know, all those aspects of living by yourself. 
They suggested we should live together. I thought it was a good idea, but I wasn't sure about it. My parents approached me again after my surgery while I was recovering at their place. Still wasn't convinced, but it wasn't until I got back home and I noticed how much I was struggling with tasks that 10 years ago weren't so hard. I really liked my independence, and as someone on the autism spectrum, I was really attached to being on my own, especially since not a lot of people on the spectrum are able to live on their own. I was going back and forth about doing this, and I phoned my sister, and she said to me that it would be a great opportunity for me to fully heal from the chemotherapy, radiation, and my two surgeries that I had these past two years. I really had no clue as to how much my body had been through, and it really wore me down to the point I was struggling to do something like read a book. My concentration is still very low, but getting better. So after my sister expressed her thoughts about the situation, I decided to take the plunge and start the process of moving back to living with my parents. This is such great news. This is such such good news, Melissa. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing the vulnerabilities and the, the challenges and the struggles. You're a hero. You're a hero, my friend. Next up from Lady of the Farm, Pronouns she and her. Hello again, love beans. Ooh, love beans. I like it. Sounds like you would love to learn about other cow breeds for opine on the bovine. So I'll share my second cow, Miss Vivian. She's a mix of two breeds, so a little trickier. She's a straight dairy, which does limit options. To help, there are, th there are names of the seven most common dairy cow breeds. See all picks of the cows. Holstein's the largest, 1,500 pounds plus, and the most popular cow, a.k.a. the Holstein Friesian. The Jersey, the second most common, is they make rich, creamy milk, often used for cheese. Small, smaller, 900 pounds. Efficient, curious, and feisty, known for licking dairies into pieces and looking like deer as babies. Oh, the Brown Swiss, gentle giants, 1,500 pounds with floppy ears, long-lived, super chill, and possibly the oldest domestic cow breed. Pretty supermodels. Um, Ayrshires, or uh, A-Y-R-S-H-I-R-E-S. -E Arshers, maybe? Dapple-spotted, rugged beauty cowgirls used for dairy and farm work. 1,200 pounds, adaptable and known for their vigorous personality. Keep them busy. Oh. Guernseys. Am I saying that right? Golden white, gentle beauties, 1,200 pounds. I already showed you Miss Maggie Moo. If I ever got land and money, I would have a whole herd. So the Guernseys are the golden Guernseys. I guess they make the golden milk. And milking shorthorns, 1,400-pound generic cow. This is what most of the original colonists would have raised as tri-purpose meat, milk, and cart cows. And last is the red Holstein. Take a guess what it looks like. <laughs> so Viviana is a mix of two. I've attached photos of her at least six months old um, with me uh, after just having my midlist. I walked her on the trail so I could train her to ride or pull a cart. We scared the crap out of some people from a distance who thought she was the biggest dog ever. She also plays fetch and chase with my husband's. Oh, excuse me, my husband. Pardon me. I'm like, I'm just going to give you two. As a bonus, you can guess what breed um, her calf, Ribeye, is, had added on by his daddy. So he's a three, he's got three. Dana already mentioned his daddy's breed recently, a beef breed. So, oh, Angus, okay. So here, okay. So this, I think, is going to be a combination of the brown Swiss, uh, the uh, Angus, no, the Angus is the other one. So brown, Swiss, and I'm going to guess Holstein. All right, let's see. Let's see what we got. Oh, you didn't give the answers. So turns out it must be right. But uh, let us know, lady of the farm. I'd be interested to know. I, I, one third of the baby is Angus, and I, I'm thinking the other two are that, f that fuzzy brown one, the supermodel. And uh, the Holstein. But anyway, you let me know. And everybody send your good news in. Whatever you want to send to me, I would love to read it. Um, please send it to us at dailybeanspod.com. Everybody get ready to vote where you, where you have elections. If you're not already voting, please do and bring someone with you. We'll get to that in a second when I do the, the sign off. But again, thank you all so much for listening. I'm, I'm, I know I'm all by myself this week. I was supposed to take the week off, but I, I was like, nah. There was just too much news going on. I'm going to hold down the fort while Dana's traveling and raising money for incredible causes. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you. I'll be back in your ears tomorrow. And you should check out the new episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45 today. <laughs> it's pretty good. Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q and bring everyone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. 
The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.